Thank you for checking out the Missio Day Humble Park podcast and joining us as we join God as he makes all things new. We are excited to pursue his heart for the greatest city on earth and the center of the city in this great neighborhood of Humble Park. All right, here we are, week two of Advent. Yeah, we're rolling along. Um, that we all have our expectations of this season. What I want to invite us into the, in the season is to expand our prophetic imagination, our ability to dream with God and see what he's doing, hear what he's saying, see what he's doing, that it would expand our imagination for what's possible for our body here and what's possible for the church here in Chicago and even Missio as a, as a, um, as a wider body. I think that that's kind of a step that is necessary before God manifests anything. Before he can show us anything, he has to let us see that it actually is possible. Sometimes it's possible by us being in um, close proximity with others who believe it's possible. Sometimes he just drops things in our spirit. But um, I can be very aware of my limitations when it's things that I just shut down immediately. God shows me something that's possible, and I shut it down. Nah, that's not going to happen. He says, like, hey, you, you get a picture of something? Like, ah, I don't believe that necessarily. I'm being shown my limitations. In Advent, it's a time where we expand our prophetic imagination to believe. If Jesus could come to earth as a small child, then anything is possible for him to do in our body. Very often, things that we get are in that small, seed-like form, so they can be hard to see. God, give me patience. God, give me hope. Give me more love. And what he does is gives us opportunities to hope. He gives us opportunities to love. And they're sometimes in a very small seed form. I am very glad that God didn't give us teenagers right off the bat. You know what I'm saying? That you get to grow into that. <laughs> like, let, it be, let them be small first, you know what I mean? And, and right, now they're like, all right, God. Very often that's how he gives us the things. And, but we're looking for something to be full grown and amazing. No, he's going to give us a seed because he wants to partner with us. He doesn't just want to do everything for us. He wants us to walk together. And that's how it is with prophetic imagination. God is like, I will stir up some inspiration in you. I will stir up love in you. I will stir up hope in you. But the ultimate goal is for you to understand how much I want to do through you and how much it is possible to do through you. So last week was hope following with the Advent themes and this week is love, the power of love. Last week we talked about the energizing hope, what happens to People like Abraham who are energized and hopeful that God is going to do these amazing things through promises and knowing that if love is not there, it's not even worth it. Whatever we're talking about, whatever we're doing, is love is not present and powerful in the manifest presence of Jesus, then it doesn't really matter that we have to see the love the Father has lavished on us. Say, say it with me. One, two, three, say lavish. One, two, three lavish. You got to say it like that. Lavish. Because that word, it sounds like how it is. Just um, hyperbolic. It sounds, you know, over the top. That, that's how it's, how it's meant to be. That's how his love is. That he's not holding 
and keeping anything back. There's this old song, and it's like, love lifted me, love lifted me, when nothing else could help. Love lifted me, love lifted me, love lifted me, when nothing else could help. Love lifted me. That's, that's the reason Jesus came was for love. That's the reason fa- his father laid everything on the line. It's for love. That's the reason I'm standing here before you today is because of love. There's the reason that I'm married is because of love. What better motivation could we possibly have in life? That if we're doing all this stuff and we're, you know, programs and all this stuff for the Lord and we get somewhere and it's a vacuum of love, what was it all for? What was it all for? Maybe it was just obligation of me wanting to do things and want to conquer things. I was feeling very colonial. But the, what I want to show you today is that it's really important that we lift up Jesus and lift up that love of who Jesus is in this season and in our lives. And it's a part of our body that we have to lift him up because we love to quote verse out of, verses out of context sometimes. In Numbers 21, 6 through 9, This is one of those times where Israel is doing what they always do in the wilderness, piss Moses off, you know, like when he when he broke the rock and he didn't speak to it and they're worshiping other idols and and God is upset. I heard someone who sees God as an angry person has not read the Bible because it takes on average God 300 years to get upset. Like that's long suffering, you know what I'm saying? We're like, man, God, God was just angry in the Old Testament. If you read it all, it took him like 300 years. It, it wasn't like uh, when he got pissed off, it was like, oh, man, get up. <laughs> Go hide. Dad is home from work or whatever. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but this particular time, God sends a pestilence because of Israel's disobedience. And he sends these fire, fiery serpents. Only thing I can imagine is like... Um, a mountain that we visited once, Mauna Loa, just erupted in Hawaii. It's this beautiful 13,000-foot mountain. It has um, like 15, 12 or, or 15 observatories on it because it can clearly see space in the night sky perfectly. But it just erupted, and it's these rivers of lava like creeping towards highways and creeping towards businesses and stuff like that. God sends out fiery serpents among the camp. That's the only way I can think of it is like this lava, you know, slithering towards people. Then the Lord sends fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. So the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned because we have spoken against the Lord and against you. You're like, what in the F does this have to do with love? (laughs) Intercede with the Lord that he will remove the serpents from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and put it on a flagpole, and it shall come about that everyone who is bitten and looks at it will live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on the flagpole, and it came about that if a serpent bit someone and he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. That's crazy. Like, (laughs) okay, you send these serpents, 
but you create something in a form of um, a serpent that's bronze, and when people look at it, they live. There's something about us raising our eyes up, even seeing the love that God has lavished on us at this light is shining in the darkness. I don't have it up here, but in John 9, 25, when it's a blind man that is being, he's received his sight and he's being questioned by all the people. How did this happen? What's going on? Was there sin involved? And, and the guy says, one thing I know, one effing thing I know is that I was blind and now I see. That's the, that's the core of amazing grace. I once was blind, but now I see. I once was afflicted, but I raised my eyes and looked to this serpent that Jesus compared to himself. Jesus, you compare yourself to a serpent? Why? Because if he is lifted up, then he draws all men to him. And that's a part of the verse I'm going to read later. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. But for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. The context of it is this. The context is if Jesus is lifted up just as a serpent was lifted in the wilderness, then he will draw all men to him in the context of his, him loving us so much that he gives us something to look at. And Jesus, just like that serpent on a pole, was lifted up on the cross. And that love was shed for each and every one of us. I mean, love found me at the, the swankiest hotel in Chicago, the Red Roof Inn on the Mag Mile. That's where love found me. And less than a mile away, love found me again when I met my wife, less than a mile away. That it's something about us and our grateful remembering of all that God has done and all he continues to unfold from us. I'm going to come back to this numbers verse, but Israel was a youth. This is in Hosea 11, 1 through 4. Israel was a youth. I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. The more they called them, the more they went away from them. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning incense to the idols It is I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them in my arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I pulled them along with cords of a man with ropes of love. Hosea is talking about Israel. The time where he prophesied a hundred years before Jeremiah, he was the first of the minor prophets. So many of uh, Micah, Isaiah, their prophecies are based off of Hosea's original ones. Hosea got a raw deal because prophets have to embody their message, right? So at the time, Israel was dealing with Baals and all these different idols and stuff. So God is like, I think of Israel as a harlot. You know what, Hosea? You should go marry a harlot. He's like, what the hell are you talking about, Lord? He's like, go marry a harlot, make her your wife. So he goes and finds Gomer. Her name was Gomer, okay? He goes and finds Gomer, makes her his wife. They have kids together. She runs off and has all kind of crazy behavior. And um, Hosea kicks her out of the house. God says, go get your wife and bring her back. All this was God showing a prophet how to embody 
the message of love. That love is not just when everything is good and you're feeling tasty and you're skipping through the tulips, you know what I'm saying? It's when you got to get down and dirty sometimes. And in order for this message of Israel to understand that God was calling them even out of their place where they're sacrificing idols, they're thinking of all these things that God has no way that he's um, affirmed and confirmed, but he calls them out of bondage. And you know who else he called out of Egypt? Jesus. This becomes a metaphor. Out of Egypt, he called his son. Oh, yeah, Jesus was in Egypt hiding. And he comes out. And so with all of these messages, the prophetic imagination, I really do want to highlight some of the minor. They called them minor prophets, but they weren't really minor prophets. They were just prophets people didn't write much about. They spoke, they prophesied a lot, which shows you the importance of the written word. You ever heard the term that it's the victors that determine history? No, it's the writers that determine history. It's the people that write the most. That's, that's it. Then you can create and craft whatever message you want. So we think of Hosea as like lowly and small. We think of Isaiah as huge because he has all these chapters. But Isaiah, Hosea prophesied 60 years. 60. Like... <laughs> A long time, but not a lot was written about him. There are no majors and minors necessarily. They're just those who who wrote little. And that includes Jesus. Jesus wrote not a word, which is crazy. So here's Jesus, Egypt. Out of Egypt, I call my son. Egypt, the poetic name for Egypt is Rahab. So it's sort of like, you know what I mean, Rahab taking care of the spies and keeping them from danger, just as Jesus was kept from danger in Egypt and being called out. God continually showing these ways that he loves them. Why? To show that he loves us. In the midst of our timidity, in the midst of us being a stubborn people, he still is trying to call us out. Why does it always take pain for us to feel love? Why does it always take pain for us to change? God is like, I really would like to woo you with love. Children of Israel, I would really like you to be, you know, convinced with just my love. Isn't that enough? Pain seems to be the only thing that calls us to change our life. That no matter how much God does it with his loving kindness, many times we will not set off an alarm of we need to be in his presence until the pain comes. And we go, okay, God, I'm going to get in your presence. All right, I, need to, I really, really need your love. What if you just had a storehouse of, it, of his love? And something happens and you were like, oh, we're just rolling through this. Let's, let's keep rolling. This, this is how we're going to keep doing it. Because I have a storehouse of his love. Sometimes me and my wife have arguments, and I know I have no equity. You know what I'm saying? It's like, <laughs> I know that it's like, it's probably not going to go well because I just, I haven't spent enough time with her. I haven't invested in the, that way it needs to be. Like, it's important for us to continue to love so that it doesn't take pain for us to change. 
that love should be and should feel like a sacrifice. But this is crazy, that love lifts us up when we lift him up. That love will create in us an impenetrable belief and understanding who God is if only we worship Jesus. All the enemy is trying to get us to do is to not worship Jesus because it's so powerful. I talk about all the time. It's one of the first things that goes when I'm having a tough time. I'm like, I got to, all right, I got to get through this first and then I'll worship on the other side. If you're planning on worshiping on the other side, why don't you just go ahead and worship in the middle? Then we are able to embrace the love that God has given us. That nothing can separate us from the love of God. So that's why I did the hug thing. Hopefully that creates an impression, you know what I'm saying? You can remember that at a moment. Because it's hard to remember how loved we are sometimes. And if we don't know we're loved, we really can't imagine for another day. So this is John 3:14 through 17. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, have, but have everlasting life. It's, it's repetition. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. I, I wonder why we just like really skip that part and we go right to, for God so loved the world because it, it doesn't give us anything to do. It's like God just loved the world, so he sent his son. Yes, that's it. But G- Jesus must be lifted up. He must be worshiped. He must be placed in front of people. He must be continually Remind, we must continually remind the world who he is for God so loved the world. That it's not just us. And this is the part where we get to have an imagination. How do we lift Jesus up? How do we worship him? How are we passionate about him? How are we sharing Jesus? We are, like I said, we can be very timid about it. But God so loved the world. But he has to be lifted up and raised up because then we begin to see, we begin to become what we see. Those serpents going through the cap, they raise up the serpent, and so people look at it and they're healed. When Jesus is raised up, we raise that banner higher and higher and higher. People see that and become like Jesus. We see that and his love becomes seen even more. So as long as the enemy can keep us in our stuff and keep us Um, timid and lowering that pole, so to speak, that we raise it up like Moses lifted it in the wilderness and we show the eternal life of Jesus. Have we lost our prophetic imagination for what God can do, for what is possible? And it's such a good reminder when we worship. Therefore, since we have such a hope, 
We use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away, but their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Why can we see? Because the one that we can see has lifted the veil away. All I know is I was blind, but now I see. Sometimes we have to narrow our faith down to that, where God has done remembering him and knowing that there was a way that we saw and now we see better. These are two paintings that I've done, one on the left that I gave to my wife when we were dating and one on the right that I did a little bit after. I, was, I was, wasn't thinking about this until this week that the one on the left I did when I had no glasses, right? So it's a little bit fuzzier, you know what I mean? Like, and I painted a long time like that. It's beautiful and it's still one of my favorites, but it looks like it's kind of got like a veil behind it, you know what I'm saying? Or a veil in front of it, like the images are behind it. And then the one on the right is when I had glasses. And I could see, and the lines are a little crisper, you know what I'm saying? But I couldn't make that comparison until now, and I'm like, oh, yeah, man. I was trying to get, find a good representation of it, you know? But there's still amazing things that happened when I was blind. <laughs> I could still make beautiful things. I think maybe this is why we have some reticence to lift God up. You know what I'm saying? Because people are making beautiful things, right? They're having kids, they're taking vacations, they're like doing all the things that you're supposed to be doing, right? And it seems like their family is thriving and they, they don't need Jesus. But they're seeing dimly and not with the clarity of who Jesus is. And the one on the right is called Jesus Enters Jerusalem. But that veil which has been taken away, who Moses even saw like this, because he couldn't really see Jesus. He was like, and he had a glory on him that people couldn't look him in the face. Wow. And he couldn't even really see Jesus clearly. We can see Jesus clearly. And this verse is saying, how much more glory. Bless you. Now that we can see the Lord clearly, how much more glory should be on our lives? How much more of his love should be apparent? Our imagination of what is possible should be ridiculous. You guys want to stand up? Jesus at the center because his love is so much greater. Jesus at the Jesus at the center of justice, of programs, of outreach, of imagination that Jesus can heal 
like the bronze snake if we lift him up. He can heal this city if we lift him up. Put your hand on your heart. Father, I just thank you today that although we were blind, we now see, Lord. Although once we saw if dimly is behind a veil, now we see, God. I thank you for that ability to see you clearly help in our imagination to love you more, to open our arms more to all you're doing in us, in our community, in our family, um, in our neighborhoods, in our city, God. You love us so much. And I thank you for showing us with our eyes, with our mind's eyes, with our heart of what you're doing here in Chicago. And we thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hot butter. Okay, so I have those papers on the wall back there. And if you have anything that you have imagined for us as a body, go back there and write it. I'm going to leave them up there for all. I'll take them down when other church comes in. But I'll put them up each Sunday for us to begin to dream into this next year that's coming and begin to partner with um, God in our imagination. So bless you guys. Have a great week. Hope to see you later. Hot butter on you. Have a great week.